Hello and welcome to this week's Property Matters, the show that brings global trends to an Irish audience to help shape your knowledge of the property market. You can contact us on, on Twitter at iPropertyRadio or email us at hello at iPropertyRadio.com. Your hosts for today are Brian Fox and myself, Carol Tallon. Thank you, Carol. We have some intriguing guests coming up this week. But first, let's first look at some of the big uh, property stories of the week of the past week. And first, the Irish Times published a Q&A feature with financial advisor Dominic Coyle suggesting that there might be some leeway with mortgage lenders Sorry. for couples who, with, uh, where one partner has already had a mortgage to avail of first-time buyer rates. Also, compu- commuters priced out of the capital are to be excluded from Dublin Affordable Housing Scheme. Workers with uh, jobs based as far uh, from the capital as Mullingar, Tullamore, Dundalk or Gorey could be eligible to buy discounted homes in Dublin but under new affordable housing plans, under new affordable housing plans, excuse me. However, those who have had to move outside of the capital and commute to the city to work are unlikely to secure homes in Dublin under the provisions of the new scheme. And finally, it's been reported by the Independent, i.e. this week, that the so-called cuckoo funds make more in Dublin than Los Angeles. US property giant Kennedy Wilson aims to more than double the number of apartments it controls in Dublin to 5,000. As a rent philosophy involved, as, as a rent philosophy involved in the city, and the company has revealed the more more than uh, 2,000 apartments it currently manages in the capital are generating an average monthly rents of 2,049 euros um, <coughs> is significantly more than the apartments the group owns in and around the greater Los Angeles area. In Southern California, where Kennedy Wilson owns almost 3,000 apartments, the average monthly rent for its properties is €1,731. And all we're missing is the weather. So in Forbes magazine earlier this week, um, there was a feature which which asked the question, can a modern day rooming house solve the affordable housing crisis? Now, we've spoken a lot about co-living. So a startup uh, pad split has created a business model that could encourage private investors to create affordable housing by making it more profitable. So it's a low cost model of co-living, which obviously has been heavily criticised here in Ireland for the high cost. So it'll be interesting to watch this unfold. Also, a tiny Italian town in Sicily is selling homes for just one euro. Yep, one euro. Local government in southern Sicily is selling 100 abandoned properties online and it's expected to have another 400 added soon. But of course, there is a catch. Buyers must agree to renovate their homes within a year of purchase or they will lose their €5,000 security deposit. But still not bad for €1. Euro. Finally, uh, HSBC Research polled almost 12,000 adults over 21 years of age and they noted a culture of property obsession across the globe with adults spending an average of three and a half hours per week trawling online listings, window shopping for homes and reading property magazines. Overall, the survey found that 6% of respondents were extreme house hunters spending over seven hours a week on property research. So that bodes well for our Property Matters radio show and podcast. Well, now the... um for government news, the, uh, the the news is that the government resumes tomorrow after its inter- Easter recess. And something that is of interest to people in the property area is the Residential Tenancies Amendment Bill uh, 2018, which is due to go through its final stages this week after amendments were inserted at committee stage. Um, this, of course, is to amend the Residential uh, Tenancies Act of 2004 to 2016. And believe it or not, there are 39 uh, amendments to be discussed in the Dáil this week. 
Um, just to remind listeners, the idea of the bill is to legislatively underpin a number of objectives in the Rebuild Ireland Review, as outlined in the government's strategy for the rental sector. Some of these objectives are already in situ, such as rent pressure zones, which provide rent predictability in areas of unsta- unsustainable rent inflation, provide uh, more of, um, effective termination procedures for non-payment of rent, place restrictions on the use of sale as the reason for renting a tenancy. This is also known as the Tirlestown Amendment. Through engagement, encourage banks and landlord borrowers to agree sustainable solutions to buy, buy to let arrears which result in properties being retained in the rental sector and review how landlord obligations are addressed during receiverships of unencumbered buy to lets in order to ensure protection for tenants and then to improve enforcement of the, uh, the RTB determination orders to encourage long-term, longer-term lettings by allowing unfurnished lettings, uh, as in other jurisdictions, subject to the introduction of an inter- appropriate standard minimum lease of 10 years uh, and move from four- to six-year tenancy cycles as a first steps towards uh, tenancies of indefinite duration. So in a nutshell, the intention of the bill is to give the Residential Tenancies board, board some teeth to investigate problems independently should there be unlawful rent increases in pressure in rent pressure pressure zones and have the power to create criminal offences for landlords who engage in non-compliance with rent increase restrictions in rent pressure pressure zones. Landlords, of course, will have to uh, be registered with the uh, Rental Tenancies Board. And another thing is, it goes on to define short-term lettings. The most significant improvement is a definition of what constitutes a substantial change in the nature of accommodation provided under a tenancy. The current legislation allows for landlords to avoid rent increases, uh, restrictions in rent pressure zones. However, the proposed new definition says a change can only take place where at least 50% of the floor area of the dwelling undergoes renovation and the works are structural. So I just finished off by saying the definition for short-term letting uh, means the letting of a house or part of a house for any period not exceeding 14 days and includes a license, permits the licensee under the license to enter and reside in the house or part thereof for such period. And I think that's really what's knocking um, Airbnb <coughs> uh, on the head as well. That's yeah. it for this week's. Yeah, no, that's an interesting one. And look, I don't, I don't think that um, landlords are going to welcome more onerous obligations in saying that obviously we welcome the professionalise that the industry is becoming more professional that's what we need but I think it's interesting to see us moving to such long term tenancies so here to discuss this and more we're joined with uh, or we're sorry we're joined by Sean Corbett Sales Director of Mortgage 123 Sean our uh, our resident mortgage guru thank you so much for being with us today no problem thanks for having me so Sean You might have heard just in the headlines there, we spoke about um, the Irish Times reporting that perhaps there might be there might be some relief for uh, couples who are purchasing um, who don't qualify for first time buyer status because perhaps one of the two had a mortgage previously. Now, my understanding in the marketplace was always once either buyer had had a mortgage previously or had had owned or, or purchased property previously, then they, they didn't qualify as first-time buyers. But you're saying there might be some relief to that. There is, but it's uh, it, it still comes under an exception rule, um, whereby there are exceptions available, for instance, for people who are second-time buyers who want to onward purchase a new property and they haven't got enough equity in their existing property once they sell it uh, to fulfil the 20%, that is the normal the normal um, the the deposit yeah, yeah, yeah. It, yeah. needed by, by the central bank rules. Mm-hmm. Um, now, if, if one person has been on a mortgage before, yes, they do. They are classified as a second-time buyer. 
and then you'd have to go and get an exception, uh, which is it takes you up to the the ten percent deposit only needed. So so that is the way around it. Uh, the only other way around it would be to buy it without the other person on the mortgage. And there are two lenders in Ireland now who will do mortgage in single names. For instance, if 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 one party wasn't earning anything, the other party was the main breadwinner and they were a first time buyer, you could go to one of these lenders who will do just a single person out of a married couple. Okay, but does that mean um, that only one name can go on the title deeds? That's correct, yeah. So that's a very vulnerable position oh, for the non-income yeah. producing uh, spouse to be and in or partner. 100%, and you, you need to get advice. You'd, you'd have a higher interest rate then at that as well, would you? If, would Not you? at all. No, no. you see, the, the only difference these days between first-time buyers and second-time buyers is the amount of deposit. The rates predominantly, there aren't, there aren't any special deals out there for first time buyers anymore apart from uh, apart from really it's a 10% deposit needed uh, but as I said it does come under the exception rule and the problem you've got with any exception now that you get from a bank is you can only have one exception so if, if you're going for a loan to value what I'd call a loan to value exception i.e. you only need 10% deposit rather than 20% you then can't have an exception on an income stretch i.e. you couldn't get an income stretch then if okay. you needed one Would that make sense? Yeah, you can only have one exception. Um, And with exceptions now, the market has tightened up hugely in the last last four weeks, i.e. the criteria has become a lot more onerous. Um, In the last four weeks? So that's since you were in studio with us previously. So um, you might just actually explain then for potential buyers and, of course, it will impact sellers listening in what those changes have been. The changes are really... um, they're favouring the higher earners. Lenders are now. So, so uh, for for an example, if you if you need an exception off permanent TSB, you need a joint income of seventy k or a single income of forty k. Um, you then need to have to be able to show net disposable income of one hundred and fifty percent of what they're looking for normally. Good luck. So, so it's that's uh, quite it, a sizable number. It is, it? and that's that's changed literally in the last. In the I last mean, week, I mean, disposable income is so tight these times, isn't it? It's 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 very tight, especially when we spoke about it last time briefly. We spoke about if you have kids, uh, for a good example, for Haven, who are part of AIB, every child they charge you two hundred and fifty euros on a monthly basis. But that's actually lower than a lot of the figures because I think the last yeah. time you were in, I mentioned to you that I think four hundred per month was the lowest figure we'd seen, and actually yeah. we've seen places adding up to twelve hundred per child. So yeah. depending on childcare arrangements and the age of of the child or the number of children, so actually two hundred and fifty euros per child doesn't yeah. seem like a huge excess. Then no, no, there there's some of the better ones, mm-hmm. and KBC are are very forgiving for people having children. Ulster Bank are are very harsh if you have children. So mm, uh, that's interesting. And, and 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 the funniest stat of all uh, is uh, permanent TSB. If you have a child of of two. You probably you'll suffer more than if the child is aged uh, aged three. So, and so why is that? It's ages. They look at age groups, and, and even Finance Ireland, the new lender to the market, um, they go in different brackets up to five years, between five and fourteen years, and then fourteen years and over, and they penalise you separately for those age groups. That's that's interesting. So, is the reasoning behind this um, that it's supposed to be proportionate to the? I suppose the, what the children cost so for example childcare costs at an early stage are much higher than when the child maybe goes into school well they don't childcare costs are separate believe it or not uh, because a lot of them now will ask you to declare 
child care costs. So, mm-hmm. so if when when we're talking to anybody, um, we we have to ask them the the cost of the child will come off automatically. I did two fifty mm. to four hundred. If you didn't have child care costs on on top, where they're going into a creche or a nursery or wherever they're going, you you add that on to it. Believe it or not, so it's not included in the normal deductions a lender a lender takes off your net disposable income. And is there any sense of nervousness out there at all in relation to how the economies nationally and internationally are going for these changes? Uh, no, no. The, the statistics were that uh, uh, everybody was expecting lending to be 20% up on 2018 in 2019. Okay. That's been reduced to an increase of 4% in 2019. Am I Four? correct in saying though it's been up by about 9% in the first quarter. It is, but it's there seem to be more properties. Um, people are finding quicker. We find anyway. We, we we do 50, 60 mortgages a month. And this is down in Limerick uh, now, yeah. is it? Yeah. Well, we cover the whole of the country. Uh, Dublin, We 50% of our mortgages are Dublin people. Right. Um, and we're finding this year, people are finding a lot quicker. Um, now, that's it, interesting. It, I wonder, are they finding it a lot quicker or are they just... Um, they're so well researched and they're so well prepared that when the right property comes um, they're primed to make a decision very quickly 100% yeah. uh, everybody who'd leave us for instance would have an agreement in principle so they know the money is available and, and they know their exact budget and, mm-hmm. and that's so important to have because it's it's it, 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 estate agents or auctioneers will take you serious once you've got an agreement in principle Oh yeah, and, and, and that's and why people are finding and, some so, some agencies won't allow you actually um, bid on a property unless you have your you have proof of funds or your approval and principal in place. Um, yeah, so that's that's an interesting one. But I, I one of the things I'm concerned about though um, approval and principals. How long are they lasting for at the moment? Or I know it depends on the banks, but predominantly six months. Okay, is yeah. it possible to get a twelve month approval and principal? No, uh, six months is is as good as it gets, really. Okay. Um, now, AIB, uh, I believe, do a 12-month, uh, but they're the only one. Okay. Uh, six months, and then once you find a property, then you have another six months to complete. So your to mortgage complete. offer would be valid then for another six months. Um, uh, and then if you're buying a new build property, you can get that mortgage offer extended up to 12 months because it's a, it's a new build uh, and and you need time for the builder to finish the build. So you can actually get What sort get of environment now is there for improvement in principle? I mean, is it, is it, is it um, steady or is it increasing or decreasing? Uh, it's, it's, it's steady. Our mortgage book is growing every month. Um, I, we do 10 million approvals 10 million of approvals each month uh, as, a, as a mortgage brokerage. Um, That's ni- nationwide, obviously. Yes, yeah. Uh, and and the actual, um, the approvals in principle, they're very different. Uh, people are getting very confused at the moment. They assume that if they if they earn a 100k joint, that they can get three and a half times that yeah. and they will get approved for that. It, it's not, the, the biggest thing we're finding people are falling down on at the moment is proven repayment capacity. Uh, and and that's where you can actually demonstrate that you're you've got the ability to service a loan due to your past performance, i.e., you're either saving enough, you're paying rent, uh, so items like that. But people people aren't getting it at the moment. Uh, the higher earners yeah. think that they the, can. Uh, that's really surprising because I would have thought with the with the rental crisis we're going through at the moment that people have been paying such high rents that actually yeah. I thought that was the one part of the mortgage application they'd be flying through. I mean, it makes it more difficult to save for a deposit, yeah. but you would imagine that they're paying very high rents that in many cases are going to be less than yeah. the cost of the mortgage. 
No, and those those applicants are predominantly fine because, mm-hmm. uh, for instance, Ulster Bank, you only need to prove 50% repayment capacity. With, uh, with permanent TSB, you need to prove 80%, and with KBC, you have to prove 100%. So the rent is fine, but what we're finding is a lot of people are moving back in with mum and dad. Oh, uh, they're yeah. paying cash to mum and dad to help with the, the monthly housing bills, uh, and, and it's not going in their favour. And there so are they don't have a record of rent paid. Right, exactly. So but mm. what is the advice to those? The, the advice is there's a very, very short period of time that lenders look at. They look at six month history um, and the the advice is to get prepared. And and even if somebody came to us today, for instance, who, who wasn't prepared and we couldn't help today, we actually give them a, a nudge as to what to do over the next six months. We then remind them after two months, how are you getting on with your savings? And, and we'd show them the budget they need to be able to demonstrate to get that mortgage. So mm. six months goes very quickly. Mm. Okay, so. and, and actually, I think that makes sense. <coughs> so in order to add value for any prospective buyers out there, because it's so discouraging, discouraging when you hear, um, you know, young people who are currently stuck in rental saying, I don't think I'll ever be able to buy a house yeah. in Ireland. Can you actually, you know, do you have a set of guidelines that you can say, okay, well, look, if you want to successfully yeah. um, secure a mortgage in six months' time, this is what you need and actually put them on the right track. 100% and we do that a lot and we find people do come back to us. We we deal uh, hugely with teachers for instance so they might not be on a permanent contract yet but they can start that process so they know they're going on a permanent contract in September but this is what you need to do over the next six months before you hit September so you can you can show that you're a good bet for the lender Okay. Uh, I'm wondering too is there any reaction yet towards the news by the Minister for Finance passing down here that there is a, gro- a growth revision downwards for next year Any any would that affect any of that sort of atmosphere within the within your business do you think I don't think so because there is uh, the the only softening I've seen is in the the more expensive properties uh, oh, right. there is still a huge shortage of properties like you you covered off there where there's there's big housing groups coming in and buying 2000 apartments and that's 2000 apartments less in the in the marketplace and so on and we're 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 finding that um there there is still a, a huge shortage of properties Okay, um, Sean, before we let you go, um, just before we came into studio, you were telling me something very interesting and it, it's no harm just before before we let you go today, maybe to explain to our listeners about what's happening. You had a client um, mm-hmm. who was sale agreed on a property for 162000 Correct. Uh, what happened? Uh, well, it was sale agreed for about three months, uh, if not longer. Uh, the client in question had paid their paid their deposit, deposit. booking deposit. Um, It was going through, even to the point where the lender had agreed to do the finance and they had carried out um, a valuation on the property. Um, Phoned the client to find out how she was getting on with her solicitor and lo and behold, the the lender, it was a a, a repossessed property, but the lender had sold it on to a vulture fund uh, or or an investment fund uh, for less than the money that the client was paying for it. Um, so it was a huge sort of kick in the teeth for the client. I uh, she'd lost the property, um, but also three months sitting waiting uh, for it to close. She's having to pay a hundred and ninety-two thousand now for a similar property. To repa- uh, after after say agreeing something for one hundred and sixty-two. Absolutely. Do you know what the fund paid for that same property? It was somewhere around seventy-two to eighty-two thousand euros. So they paid less than she was actually paid, but it was part of a cluster of properties. Probably. I I expect so, that the fund was buying. So, so they paid eighty to ninety thousand less yeah. than the person who had paid yeah. a booking deposit yeah. and agreed to buy it. 
there's something wrong there, isn't it? Sean, we might take this up another day. Um, thank you so much for being with us today. OK, that was Sean Corbett, Sales Director at Mortgage123. Very informative, as always, Sean. We look forward to the next time. Perfect. Thank you. And stay tuned after the break. We're going to be hearing about an innovation in housing coming from Zoobox Ireland. Broadcasting to South Dublin on 93.9. This is Dublin South FM. Okay, and welcome back to Property Matters here on Dublin South FM with Brian Fox and myself, Carol Tallon. You can contact us on Twitter at iPropertyRadio or email hello at iPropertyRadio.com. As mentioned before the break, our next guest in studio with us is Guillaume Pellerin. Apologies if the if the pronunciation That's is wrong nice. there, Guillaume. So Guillaume is CEO of Zoobox Ireland and thank you so much for joining us today. So... Thank you for having me. Uh, well, Zoobox is one of the most exciting innovations to come into Ireland. And I'm, I'm going to class it as part of the housing market because you are providing housing, albeit in an alternative style. So perhaps you might just explain what is Zoobox? Yeah, that's that's always the, the question. What is Zoobox? Um, so basically, Zoobox is, you can imagine it as a, as a loft, a big open space, a 50 meter square loft uh, that we place in area of great natural beauty so it's really made to be a vessel to bring people outside in the best the most comfortable way uh, so you'll have the same comfort that you would find in a hotel room uh, you'll have a king-size bed a hot tub actually a, a bathtub that can roll outside a climbing wall a fully equipped kitchen uh, you know a shower bathroom everything uh, but we also try to give it a fun twist uh, so there is a, an hamster wheel that produces electricity it's completely off the grid uh, there is a climbing wall inside and a climbing uh, wall inside inside the inside the box. building yeah yeah okay. inside the building we're actually working on a new version with with some other cool feature we're trying to have fun with the design uh, but the the master piece of this 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 design is is the wall so we have a big glass wall that completely opens so you really can sleep in your king-size bed outside you have <laughs> the feeling like you're really in nature and fabulous and you've you've of course already delivered these and and you've delivered housing in Canada yep, at this stage yep. so we we started as a real estate company really uh, doing eco houses in Canada uh, we were the first to do a LEED Platinum certified eco house in Canada. Uh, we actually only have our first LEED Platinum building oh, really? in Ireland down oh, at great. Sir John Rogerson's Key, literally uh, by Hibernia Reit, only in the last few months that's been delivered to the market. So when did you deliver that in it Canada? It was 14 years ago. Like oh. I, won't, I don't want to brag about <laughs> it, <laughs> but it was 14 years but you're, ago. But you're getting yeah. electricity off the grid. Yeah. The, the, the house produces its own electricity. So no, you produce the electricity. It's a hamster well, wheel. Yeah, but <laughs> it, it, actually the hamster wheel produces a tiny amount of electricity. And the idea is to show you just how much electricity you need in your normal life. Uh. So when you use the hamster wheel, uh, you'll see a meter on the wall that, that shows you, you know, what amount of electricity you're producing. Uh, but actually, the real energy comes from solar panels and windmills. Because, uh, okay. uh, you know, even if you use the hamster wheel for 30 minutes or, or an hour, you'll only be able to power a, yeah. a small home oh. cinema for maybe yeah, 30 yeah, minutes. Yeah, yeah. So you realize that every day when you watch TV or use your computer, that, that just needs a, a huge amount of electricity. Right. 
Uh, it's interesting to to just feel or, it. Or boil a kettle yeah. of water for that yeah. matter as well. And, and tell me, just just on this point, um, is it a could you have a family house with this? Yeah, well, it, it's it's made for holidays, so we're made for really holidays, yeah, like yeah. marketing tourism here. Right. Uh, but they're made for six people. Mm-hmm. Uh, usually, we have groups of four, so mm-hmm. you know, family of four or mm-hmm. friends. Uh, a lot of our clients would be uh, uh, quite. Well, they're, they're actually most of them would be millennials or retirees. Yeah, really? That's <laughs> so it's funny. Yeah, because yeah, yeah. we would have all those people that live in an urban setting, yeah. uh, setting, um, and they want to connect with nature, yeah. but they're not a generation that was familiar with camping, and so they kind of just like to go in a comfortable place and have fun with their friends and rediscover nature in a easy, you know. Uh, setting. So they'd build a, they'd, they'd buy a plot and build and put a ho- one of these houses. They, they uh, well, we would we would do the developments. We would buy land, oh, develop the I houses yeah, yeah, uh, with yeah, local yeah. partners mm-hmm. actually. Um, and yeah, and the other part is our, our retirees. So a lot of them used to go camping when they were younger, mm-hmm. and now they they want to go back, but in a comfortable setting. Mm-hmm. Uh, so they get the same comfort as a hotel room, but they're outside. And typically speaking, where would the settings be? Would it be by the beach, or would it be in or, some sort of well-resourced uh, country area? Yeah. So that's really interesting. We um, we actually realize, especially in Ireland, that. Um, all the, the beach and the coast is highly protected for a good reason, I think. Sure. Uh, and it's the same thing in many countries. Uh, so we're trying to go a bit up in the mountain. Uh, that being said, we have an amazing site in Connemara that is looking uh, at a fjord. Uh, but most of them would be a bit upper in the mountain because uh, it's, it's easier for planning. It's also easier to hide them. Uh, and we don't block the view from the uh, sun. You know, which well, what yeah. little sunshine we get. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, in Ireland, it's a different kind of landscape. Uh, you would have, like, especially like in Connemara, Kerry with the mountains, you have this kind of ever-changing landscape with the clouds. So that's something that I, I think a lot of people in Ireland, like, we we get used to it. Uh, but people from from other countries, they just finding amazing to, mm. to, to see. That and how, how do you market these the, the, these um, houses? Do you, do you do you market directly to millennials and, and, and yeah. retirees? Mainly uh-huh. online, uh, Mainly a online. lot in Canada. Because in Ireland, we're just in planning phases on five sites. Uh, in Canada, we we've, we've been running for a while, so. Uh, mainly Instagram, Instagram influencers, oh, wow. and that wow. was surprising. Influencers, yeah, really? Because we yeah. went on Facebook for a while, and we realized, well, actually, our clients are on Instagram now. They're they're not really on Facebook anymore. Uh, so it's a lot of bloggers uh, and and Instagram stars, a bit of Snapchat too, but uh, I would say main, yeah, mainly Instagram and and the web, yeah. Yeah. Right. Um, Guillaume, we might just talk a little bit about the business model because you mentioned there that um, you develop uh, with Irish partners. So you might just explain how that works. Yeah, yeah. So basically, um, we're trying to find uh, partners in, in, in a lot of places in the world. Uh, and we can, like, I cannot clone myself. So we needed to find somebody that's local, somebody that knows everybody in the in the area. And they're all, most of the time, rural areas. So it's important for us to partner up with local people. So we de- develop a 50-50 joint venture. 
Uh, and so we help push the, the cash down. They put a little bit of cash down and then we finance the whole project. But it's not just the zoo box themselves. It can be a welcoming center. It can be a parking lot with electric chargers for electric cars. Uh, it can be all the bikes you need for rental. It's just a, the whole ecotourism experience. Uh, and we also help them find their branding, find their, because they all have different branding. And the idea is to create this network around the world of amazing natural landscape. Uh, where you can you know travel and and, and use all of them. Yeah. Uh, For people listening in, how would they know if they're uh, the right partner or a good fit for Zoobox? Most of the time, or you know, I'm not I'm not sure I can tell them how they would know, but I can tell what, what yeah. when I know. Uh, and a good partner is somebody obviously that lives in in what we call hotspots, so spots that are near an organic tourism market, mm. uh, but not in it. They would be just a bit beside it. Uh, amazing views. So we're looking at world class sceneries, uh, mountains, sea view, uh, something that you know. You th- does that explain what brought you to Ireland? Uh, that's right. Yeah. 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 I was just yeah. trying yeah. to get. I was right, <laughs> waiting for you to lead into that. We were going from Canada. Yeah. You know, very I, know. I, I get that question a lot yeah. too. Yeah. Uh, and actually, Ireland was a really good uh, market for us because there's 8 million international tourists in Ireland. Uh, and there was not a, a lot of offer in, in eye and glamping. Uh, and so we knew there was there was something there and it was a, a, a good kind of test market for Europe and the world, but we didn't really plan to go abroad very fast. We thought we would just do Ireland, but because our model works with local partners and they can do a bit of the work because we're partnering 50-50, we're realizing that we have all those people calling us to start sites in other countries. Uh, so now the challenge is to manage them and to make it happen because you know at some point you you focus yeah. on so many things that you know you're not advancing fast enough. Mm. So we need to refocus now. Um, you have an interesting aspect to the business insofar as you're actually um, manufacturing or assembling these homes as well. So there's a lot of, uh, I suppose, of your own technology and research yeah. gone into to achieving these off grid homes. Yeah, so we've uh, we've realized with the past because we were a real estate company before, and we were using sub- in Canada in Canada, mm-hmm. and we were using sub- subcontractors uh, a lot of the time, and we actually did an, an optimization study, a Kaizen study of a construction site, and we realized that uh, your subcontractors can be really good, but if they don't communicate well together, you'll mm-hmm. have a lot of delays and mm-hmm. a lot of expenses. So uh, we decided to go, uh, you know, a little step forward, and we realized that most of the delays were with electricity, compo- electric components, and plumbing. Uh, the, the walls are pretty easy, and the finish, the finish is very long because you have a lot of different skills involved. So we designed what we call the mechanical block. So that's a, that's a block that would get any home off the grid, basically. So you have your batteries, you have your water treatment, you have your plumbing. So basically, we would put everything you need for plumbing and electricity into one big block, uh, and that reduced the cost of the unit for 25%. So we, we saw there was a major saving there, and we decided to uh, push it a little further, and now we're realizing that you know, a lot of the construction is going to be made by us uh, in a factory here in Dublin and then shipped abroad uh, because it's just a lot more effective uh, because they're so 
uh, weird for subcontractors. There's just no, they're not typical houses. They're mm. clamping units. But it's so very they, much reflective of the marketplace moving from the traditional build towards a modul, uh, modular or prefabricated yeah. um, end product. So this is where it's interesting that you're coming into Dublin with your factory because obviously that's not something that we've seen in Ireland over the past decade. So when do you hope that's going to kick off? Well, we need to kick off soon because the orders are there. So we need to produce this summer. Uh, we had the first order for 15 houses for Canada. It, and it just doubled. Mm. I actually read about that yeah. in the, in the, one Irish, of the, Times. In the yeah. Irish Times. Yeah, That's yeah, right. Yeah. Um, so you actually are exporting homes. Yeah, we're so exporting homes. Brian, now. can you believe that we actually have people building homes in a factory in Dublin for export <laughs> to the <Yeah>. Canadian market? <laughs> I know. Is Canada your only export market? Are there other No, actually, there, there's a lot. We discovered uh, national parks in, uh, in Africa, actually. Is that it's a market we never thought about. And how did, it, did it come to you, or did you? Yeah, well, it's funny. We uh, we had contacts with uh, the World Bank uh, that's managing the Green Fund for Africa. Okay. And there's a lot of development in Africa to reduce uh, the carbon footprint. Sure, absolutely. And yeah. ecotourism can be a great replacement for agricultural uh, practices in some areas mm-hmm. where they they would burn a lot of fields to to you know cultivate crop. And so the idea is to change those those farmers that are burning fields into rangers for national parks. But uh, there's not a lot of income in those national parks. Oh, yeah. And we are lucky enough in Canada that we have a, a national park system that auto-finances itself. So the national parks are offering lodging, they're offering activities, and they they finance themselves up to 70%. So, so they're more tourist-centric they're as a opposed lot more, to... Yeah, but they also have a big protection culture and yeah. mission but they're generating money uh, and we we know that system well because we've worked with them uh, so we're trying to bring that idea to Africa uh, with the zoo box so we would offer lodging with national parks and work with them towards a period of 25 years to train them and eventually give them the park so you have a zoo yeah. box within a within a natural forest yeah, yeah and <laughs> actually in a, ironic. in a jungle in, in a jungle and <laughs> in, a, in a park in Madagascar yeah. you, do you know what? I, I don't think it's ironic, ironic at all I think it's exactly perfect because zoo box is the opposite to zoos as we know it you know the humans are in nature but they're in the box yeah. and nature is all around so mm. actually I think it's I think it's the perfect concept but I'm fascinated by the business model side of it and the funding so obviously what you're talking about rolling out must have required a huge amount of funding yeah, and support. Did, so yeah. um, where are you in terms of investor confidence in the project? So we got our first investors uh, a year ago now uh, and now we're, we're in production. Uh, the orders are good. So we are we will be looking for Serie B funding, but in a year, in a year and a half. Uh, but so far we're good with funding. Uh, when we, I just came back from San Francisco to meet with investors there, and there's a huge uh, appeal in California for what we're doing. It's kind of a natural mm. market for that. Uh, and so, and, and do you raise your, if, if you don't mind me asking, do you raise your money publicly or privately? Privately, privately, privately. Yeah. But so far, so, so far, far, because yeah. in Ireland with our five sites, we're gonna of course approach Falcha and Tourism Ireland uh, because I think we can. A lot of their mission is to, well, presently, uh, a lot of their, their goals is to redirect tourism from, from the 
traditional hotspots. Yeah. So, for example, the cliff of Moira Mo is a very mm. good example where yeah. you just see buses and buses sure, and sure. buses, yeah, yeah. and there's no real impact on the local. They're not you know, in terms of staying, staying there, yeah. there yeah. and staying there. That's one of the downsides. Yeah. Well, it's one of the downsides of our improved infrastructure that people can get from Dublin to the cliffs of Moira and then back. Yeah. So the idea would be to bring those international tourists, but just beside the cliff a bit further mm. uh, and stay there, stay there for, you know, three or four weeks. Which would actually benefit exactly. the local community. And because we're building this network around Ireland of five sites, we can sell it to tour operators as tours. Mm-hmm. So usually, you know, international tourists will have two to three weeks to mm. travel. So we can sell packages where you'll tour Ireland mm. uh, tr- in those different sites, meeting local partners all the time. But you'll have the same quality of experience for, for every site. Mm. Perfect. You have some quite high-profile supporters and advisors on board at this yeah. stage. How did that come about? Uh, it's perseverance, I guess. <laughs> it's funny. Uh, uh, yeah, well, uh, we just uh, got news that uh, Gerald Lawless, the ex-CEO of Jamiro Hotel, which is the big five-star hotel chain uh, that started in Dubai, you know, that, that hotel that looks like a sale. Yeah. Uh, so Jewel was the CEO of this chain. He's also the chairman chairman of the World Tourism Council, and now he's uh, an official advisor for Zubox. So, so that's a uh, huge vote of confidence. Yeah, that's, and that's really we're really happy to have him on the team. Do you know it's it's amazing but for us to see uh, an Irish startup that's truly global. And so that's why I think it's really important to point out that despite the French accent, you're very much <laughs> an Irish startup. Um, you know, like your team are based here between Galway yeah. and Dublin and manufacturing out of a base in Dublin. I think it's something that we really need to see more of, particularly as we're talking about um, this shift from traditional construction. So what's next? What's next for Zoobox apart from filling those orders? That, well, that that's already a big, yeah. So what's next is to uh, help all our partners to raise funding in their all their areas. So we're going to really focus on that. We have a team from Trinity that's going to do a, a, a team of MBAs that's going to look for a source of funding for all those people. And we're uh, looking at launching a pilot project in all those countries just to get the ball rolling and, and start. Uh, because they're a big project, like one project would be 4.5 million in investment. So obviously we cannot finance everything. Mm. Uh, but there are, you know, all those local fundings and there and there's actually money to be made in ecotourism. You know, and I would imagine a lot of people. So it seems, yes, as evidenced by. <laughs> well, actually, for people listening in, you know, who are sitting on land or in their rural homes around Ireland, which, of course, we do hope they're listening in, um, just I suppose, well, first of all, where can they go for information? On our website, uh, www.zoobox.ie. It's uh, simple. Are you still open to um, meeting new local partners in, in, in the Ireland, most beautiful places yeah, in Ireland? In Ireland, I, I would say we have a lot of, of demands, but uh, if you truly have a world-class scenery, uh, <laughs> you can you can reach us and, and we'll see what we can do. Yeah. Very good. Okay. Mm. Um, that was Guillaume Pellerin, CEO of Zoobox. Thank you so much for being with us today, Guillaume. Please stay tuned after the break as we have a special interview with Aaron Block, uh, co-author of PropTech 101, Turning Chaos into Cash. Um, And that's coming all the way from New York. Everything's fine on 93.9 Dublin South FM. 
Okay, and welcome back to Property Matters here on Dublin South FM with Brian Fox and myself, Carol Tallon. You can contact us on Twitter at iPropertyRadio or email hello at iPropertyRadio.com. On the line now is Aaron Block, who is co-author of a book called ProTech 101, Turning Chaos into Cash Through Real Estate Innovation. And he's co-author with uh, Zach Aaron. Thanks uh, for joining us, uh, Aaron, on the programme this evening. Pleasure. Thanks for having me. So tell us... um, yeah, from the residential sales agent to the greater contractor to the re- REIT executive, um, they're facing unparalleled threats and opportunities as far as you're concerned in the book. What are the threats, Aaron? Well, certainly in, when we use the property in real estate terms, the, the, the phrase that comes to mind is functional obsolescence. And just the word obsolescence alone is very frightening to many property-minded folks. It's the idea that where you are today will be eliminated in the future. So I think as a practitioner, whether you're you know, a, a, a multifamily, single family, um, to let or to sell agent, um, whether you're you know, an executive of a large organization um, or, or, or one of the people doing the work within a medium-sized organization, really across the entire org chart, it's really hard, Brian, to imagine that your job and your role will not exist a handful of years from now. And the reality is that obsolescence will come. Now, if you're an investment officer, even more particularly in the space, one of the threats is not just that your job won't exist, it's that the investment decision that you made, you were a fiduciary to invest money on behalf of, of, of some pensioners you know, in another country or, or unions, retirees, that the investments you made are no longer viable and the value of them has disintegrated overnight. These are the fears right, that folks have in the space today. And a lot of this is because of technology-driven innovation that's been bubbling up over the last few years. Indeed. And you also go on to say in the book that business and real estate practitioners who ignore prop tech face three broad categories of threat. Automation, disintermediation, I hope I pronounced that correctly, but more interestingly, more, more interestingly is functional obsolescence. You've just uh, broached that topic. Would you like to expand on it a bit more? Yeah, yeah. So functional obsolescence is uh, the best example we can come up with that's universally universally applicable is uh, WeWork. Um, and, and you know, in Ireland we know we know WeWork, and, and and across Europe we know WeWork, Asia we know WeWork, and certainly here in North America, you know, if you I was sitting next to one of the chief investment officers of a large uh, real estate asset manager a couple of years ago at one of the global conferences. And we started talking about how we work or co-working as a concept would affect the price of a building. And, and he looked at me and said he didn't, he didn't know. So, so by putting a new use type, essentially a new service offering in a building, whether it's a portion of the building or all of the building, confuses the valuation of a building and allows the investors and the people who trade in these buildings to have a harder time coming up with a sustainable entry and exit point for their investments, which creates uncertainty, which creates opportunity. The idea that what you thought was an office building is now more of a hospitality play is is really frightening. And as a specific example, something that has been occurring in front of our eyes. But it's not just that, Brian. These use types are a very good example of how functional obsolescence can creep in for the first time to many people's minds in property in our generation. You look at retail, which has been battered uh, over the last few years quite a bit. Mm -hmm. We see retail turning, if you look at the malls, they're turning into experiential 
centers. We're also working on opportunities that bring um, hospitality and, and, and sleeping services into retail centers. We've got investments in technology companies that are bringing office co-working into uh, uh, dark restaurants. This blending of use type really is confounding the folks who had traditionally worked within a more static hierarchy or taxonomy of what real estate or property was. And that can really make your assumptions be thrown out the window and lead, if you make a big mistake, to, to, to obsolescence, to what you thought it was being no longer valuable in tomorrow's marketplace. Yeah, so it's a, it's a complete mind shift, isn't it, really, from, from what we're used to in terms of real estate? Sure. Yeah, it sure needs to be. It sure needs to be. Now, the other factor, factor I want to talk to you about, too, is that the fact that real estate have managed to insulate itself from technological advancements and innovation for longer than most industries. This only means that a change of a pace of change is that much faster now. And you refer to it as the fourth uh, industrial revolution. I take it you're talking about the technological revolution that's ongoing at the moment. Yes, sir. Uh, would you like to expand on that in itself? Yeah, well, I mean, I think it's easy enough to point at different industries that have evolved over the past few years. Of course, health technology is a big focus, particularly in the United States, where costs are so high. Advertising, media technologies, many people, um, at least over here, are spending a lot of time cutting the cable cord um, and using YouTube TV or Netflix or Hulu is their primary source of consumption. Of course, where many of us around the world are listening to Spotify on demand is media technologies that didn't exist a few years ago. The jobs of record folks um, and the jobs of radio folks, frankly, I used to run a radio station myself, are very different today. So media tech is another example. Advertising tech, um, we're looking at fashion tech here in New York, fashion being a big industry here in, 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 in Paris, for example. And then uh, the closest cousin of, of the hyphen tech world would be financial services technology or fintech. And if you look at fintech, one great story that I like to tell, and that is oft repeated, regardless of uh, how truthful it is, and I believe it is, there was a time not so long ago that none of us uh, 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 used any technology really for our banking. We would go to a teller, we would, you know, endorse a check, cash a check, and and then have our have our spending money. And then ATMs came along and slightly improved that. And today, very few people are, are visiting a bank branch or an ATM for any reason whatsoever. Everything's oh, done digitally. That, that's our lifetime. Yeah, that indeed. transition was in our lifetime. Yeah. Right? Let's go going back to prop tech. Um, you mentioned in your book that uh, those who, who embrace prop tech will have the chance to realize efficiency, save money, and add revenue streams. How will they add revenue streams? Yeah, so uh, the, some of the smarter enterprises and individuals who are engaging with prop tech are able to, to harness some of what's happening in order to get more rent if they own or manage buildings, which, which is frequently, frequently happening, or add a service offering that otherwise wouldn't be available. Uh, one example is we worked on uh, a partnership between Cushman and Wakefield and a startup called Bauer Evaluation. Cushman and Wakefield and many of the large brokerages had historically not done smaller multifamily appraisal and valuations, 
Bowery uh, Valuations gave them technology through their partnership that allowed them to take do that business effectively that they otherwise couldn't have. So that allowed them to pick up what is essentially a new service line is one uh, particular example. On the, on the residential side, you see folks who are able to create more income through more efficiency, certainly, but also being able to generate new sources of leads that otherwise wouldn't have been available previously. If you look at Zillow in the United States, and there are analogs in other countries, being able to funnel leads to uh, agents in a more effective manner than they would otherwise able to do themselves or just entirely new to them that they wouldn't have otherwise been able to access has created new opportunities to make money for the folks who are most tech forward, who are embracing technology, harnessing it, piloting it, testing it, and um, uh, incorporating it into their day-to-day lives. Very good. Um, it, um, you also say too that uh, Trulia founder Pete uh, Flint predicts that as a result of tech advances, most traditional real estate agents will be gone in a decade. That's a fairly tough proposition for traditional um, real estate agents to um, to um, comprehend. Brian, if you go back to the financial services analogy that I was sharing with you, the other story from financial services that I think we can look to, in addition to there being very little reason to go to a bank branch now, if you look at Goldman Sachs, uh, someone told me the other day that they only have two traders in the entire organization now. And in years past, I remember when I was in the real estate and property world, I was a broker and all of these large banks were taking huge amounts of space for their trading floors, right? They were they had, they had galas and oodles of traders running around on huge floor plates in Stanford and New York and London, across all major markets. Now they've eliminated all of that due to the digital transformation in their world, and now there are only two of them left. And those traders were very much, in many ways, intermediaries. You think of brokers, agents as intermediaries. I think most people say financial services is five to seven years ahead of real estate in its technology innovation cycle. I think you can imagine Pete's being a little bit conservative by saying 10 years from now. I think really? it could even be sooner. Really, really. And tell me, um, do you think then that um, are, are they up to speed? I mean, from the point of view of, I'm sure you're aware of the Irish market and the UK market, are the uh, real estate agents uh, ready for this transition? Are they, are they familiar? Are they, are they in the know about how, um, how quickly PropTech is, is um, adding to the business at the moment? Yeah, I gotta say, nobody, nobody's really ready, right? I mean, it's really hard. To and the same in the United States, would you say? Yeah, yeah. I had, I had a boss, who, a friend, actually, who once told me that when someone gets fired, even if they know it's coming, it's still a shock. And I think it's very much the same to an individual for for their for their life's work and their career and their identity. It's very hard to come to grips with it. And I, I have to give a lot of credit to the folks who are in the UK, Ireland, Western Europe, Central Europe, and in some parts of Asia, really far ahead in their embracing and willingness to acknowledge the technological uh, uh, transition that's happening relative to the North American world. Really? Oh, really? Really? So there's, there's, there's less resistance here to, to it than, than, than in North America, would you would say? Yes, sir, but there's also less innovation there, so it's a double-edged sword. People are more willing to embrace innovation, but there aren't as many innovators coming up with great technologies there due to the fact that the venture capital world and the infrastructure for entrepreneurship 
tends to be uh, at least at greater scale yeah. on the coasts of, sure. of the United States. So it's an interesting dynamic, and we're interested to see how it plays out over the next couple of years. And tell me, what do you see as next? What's the next big development in this world that we're talking about at the moment? Well, I, I got to tell you, over the last couple of, of, of you know, last year or so, we've had almost a unicorn minted a month in our space, meaning a billion dollar U.S. Uh, valued uh, real estate technology prop tech company. I think you know what what's in the future is is a lot of investors actually getting capital return from their investments in these companies, which creates this very virtuous cycle of new innovators wanting to get into the space because they're chasing the money and the glory of having you know made themselves and their investors a lot of money. So I think you're going to see a real scaling up. You're going to see much faster movement in the industry here to embracing change and innovation, especially in North America, which has been a half a step behind Europe historically. I also think there's going to be some really interesting areas of focus uh, here beyond what we've heard over the last couple of years, which is, you know, kind of sensors and data and AI. I think you're going to see 3D printing taking a much uh, bigger role. I think you're going to see modular construction starting to take a much bigger, more prominent role. I think you're going to start finally to see blockchain starting to make an impact. I think that's still probably one cycle away, but that's certainly coming. And one area that is very clear and dear to our hearts that we put our money where our mouth is, is around the affordability of housing. Any technology that's helping every city in the world or their particular city where they're based increase the affordability of housing or improve the affordability of housing is going to do very, very well. Those are some areas I'd keep my eye on. And Aaron, if you could uh, answer this in about three minutes, what if investors have got this whole thing wrong? Repeat the question, Brian. I'm sorry. Sorry. What do you? Do you what? What is going to happen? You've just mentioned uh, investors putting money into all these developments, etc. What if they get it wrong? What if? What if this thing doesn't work out as 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 you want one hopes? Yeah. Yeah. No, it's a great question. So the you know I've bet the entire farm, so to speak, on 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 this wave not being wrong. So I, I believe firmly that the that the transformation is not wrong. I think there are you know a million ways to make poor investments, just like as a property investor. There's a million things you can do wrong, both on buying too high, which is a risk in a rising market like we're in, uh, as well as operating poorly, right? If you're not managing your property well, you could find many ways to fail. If you're not managing your tech investments well, you can find many ways to fail. So I, I don't think that it's, it's, it's so complicated or frightening. You know, it's not like... Uh, you know, a child trying to rebuild a car engine, right? It's not that complicated. It doesn't have that many moving parts. The idea is you have to buy well, you have to back great entrepreneurs, and you've got to support them on their journey and be willing to take a few losses on your way to your win. So I think I think the real losers out of this will be the people who are throwing money around carelessly, who aren't thoughtful about how they're investing, with whom they're investing, and who aren't long on their positions. It's going to take time, but there's going to be mostly winners in this space for those who invest today. So you're obviously very optimistic for the future. Yes, sir, I am. Aaron, very interesting. Thank you so much for coming on the line. That was Aaron Block, who is co-author of PropTech 101, Turning Chaos into Cash Through Real Estate Innovation with Zach Aaron's. Thanks so much indeed, Zach. Sorry, Aaron, yeah, me. my Thank pleasure. You so Thank you for having me. Cheers. And that was Aaron there, as you heard, Aaron Block of a co-founder, managing partner of Metal Me- Metaprop.
a VC prop tech fund. So that's it from us in the studio today. Thank you for joining us on Property Matters and the show where property matters. Get in touch with the show by emailing hello at iPropertyRadio.com or on Twitter at iPropertyRadio. Okay, we want to thank all of our guests for being on the show with us today. Next week, we have an in-depth data centre special. So we'll be joined by the Host in Ireland team with uh, a number of experts in this area. But for now, thanks to Shane Flynn, who's on sound, producer Katie Tallon. And we're back at the same time next week. Stay tuned for Bowl of Soul, which is coming up next. So from Brian Fox and myself, Carol Tallon, have a good week. 